Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mana Podcast, Daily Bread for the Daily Christian. My name is Samuel Jeske. I serve as the pastor at Our Shepherd Lutheran Church in Crown Point, Indiana. I'm one of the regular hosts of this podcast. Uh, our co-host, um, resident Crown Point theologian, Kevin Graper, he's not able to be with us. Um, however, he wanted me to pass on uh, how he hopes and prays that everybody is rejoicing in our risen Savior and are still glowing with Easter celebrations. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, with me today, uh, subbing in and filling in for Kevin, is a, a very special guest, someone I've been looking forward to having on the podcast for some time. Um, and he also happens to be my brother. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. With me is Michael Jeske. Michael Thank you for hanging out. Hey, no problem. I, ever since I heard about this thing you got going on, I got pretty interested in how it was going to play out. Yep. So here we are. Oh yeah. Um, Michael has got a uh, he's got a strong theater background. Um, he has been Michael. If you could, if you could guess, <laughs> as if you probably you probably know an exact number. How many productions have you been part of? Plays, musicals. Um, if you had to guess. Um, wow, that's, um, it's digging at something I haven't really thought of in a while, but, uh... If you had to guess. Um, <laughs> I'd say maybe 20? Yeah. I don't know, maybe a little less, maybe a little less than that, but... Well, you got, you have an ex uh, an exceptionally robust repertoire when it comes to performances. I've gotten a chance to see in a couple. I saw, um, Neil Simon, the Neil Simon's Rumors which was oh wow. Uh, oh wow that is that was that pretty is, it was it was, was a long time ago well that was awesome um i if you haven't if, any, if you remember that well if anybody has not seen or read the play um uh, i would encourage you to do so um it is a very <laughs> it is a ride <laughs> yeah it is a ride and a half <laughs> but um I don't know, it, Michael. Of uh, the productions that you've been part of, is there one that stands out to you a lot? Um. Well, both the ones that I did in my senior year in high school are the ones that I can remember with most, with the most unreserved <laughs> admiration and fond memories. Where where was I'm a where was arsenic and old lace in the mm -hmm. fall, and I was and I played Mortimer. And then My Fair Lady when I was Henry Higgins. Yeah, those are both major roles yeah. uh, in yeah. those in those respective plays. Uh, so it's anyway, uh, yeah. That's it was, and I got a chance to see you in My Fair Lady. Uh, yeah. I did not see you in Arsenic and Old Lace, um, but um, and then I'm trying to think of some what, what some other ones that I saw you in. There was one at um, the University of, Mo of Milwaukee. So Michael um, uh, also attended the University of Milwaukee for theater as a theater major. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't remember what production it was, but it was really interesting. Um, you Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, there were it. You played um, as odd as this sounds. You played the devil. <laughs> oh, damn Yankees. <laughs> yeah, you played. I was in, in that, that was. Um... <laughs> That was my last show over there. I was uh, Mr. Applegate. Yeah, it. So if you're not familiar with the play "Damn Yankees," it's kind of like, it's kind of like if Doctor Faustus unfolded in baseball. Is that fair, Michael? In the in the in the 1950s, and it just so and it was so this longtime Washington Senators fan, who diehard loyalist, even though the team sucks. Gets sent, gets his body reversed by 20 years, and then he becomes the random out of nowhere star from the American Midwest who comes in and saves the team. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's very tongue it's very tongue in cheek. It's very cheesy, but I had a lot of fun with that. Well, yeah, it's it's very slapstick and and comical and and uh, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was uh, that was fun. That was fun to watch. Um, Michael has always been a huge, um, 
he has just been. I I know that Michael has probably read. He, he's he's probably read every single uh, Shakespearean play, um, probably multiple times. I still remember, you know, growing up, you had a massive volume of all of Shakespeare's works, and no doubt you've probably read that mm-hmm. several times. Um, um, I'm still working on that. That's a that's it's a pretty hefty thing to read something that's meant to be seen but yeah there is, is. but that's there cool. is something to be gained by going through it like that yep uh michael also is a huge fan of um uh fantasy and science fiction literature michael is uh he an, an avid reader at least at one point he was of the red wall series as mm. well as uh maybe not as much anymore um but a hey, brian mm. brian jakes oh, come on yeah that's uh, yeah. that's really good and literature this- yeah, there's still some good memories in that. I still have my book. I still have those books. Um, trying to and, think. go ahead. And, and Harry Potter, yep. which, which we were all big on back then because we grew up with it around the time they were come. The books were coming out, so that was fodder for the tensions in the household. We <laughs> and I remember. I remember it getting so bad that the last couple of books we were threatening each other with spoilers. Well, I I, I finally <laughs> remember. I finally remember one. Well, uh, um, I think anybody who anybody who's been siblings knows that uh, um, just as we are all sinners and have a sinful nature, this is a sinful nature that unfolds within families and within the relationships between siblings. So um, there are fond memories of Michael and I spending great times together, and there are also some not-so-pleasant memories of me being a total jerk. Um, but um, Michael found ways to... Um, give his siblings the old proverbial uppercut, um, not literally speaking, but one of those is when the Harry Potter books were coming out. Michael had, I don't remember how this how this shook out, but you had, if I remember correctly, mom and dad had bought you the final installment of the Harry Potter series. Uh, the Death no, 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 it was it was um it was no, second it was the to last no, because it, oh so no, 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 it, was no. Pre- it was second to last because Liz got the last one ahead of us, so she oh, turned okay. the tables on us for that. Okay. I was the one who started it with six, okay, because I got it first so I could read it first. So Michael had the Half Blood Prince, and he, I how it worked is basically there was just kind of a sequence of who got to read it next because by the time Michael was into Harry Potter long before I was and my sister was um but how was this particular book uh, our you know our sister Liz she had next so she was she got to read it after Michael and then I was third in line and I don't know what was going on but I was picking on Michael about something and Michael threatened to drop a fairly he he threatened to drop a massive spoiler uh, that happened in the Half Blood Prince, and I thought he was bluffing, and I called his bluff. He wasn't bluffing. The thing, the for, fortunately, um, the events that take place in the Half Blood Prince, there's plenty of crucial plot details that you could drop. Uh, Michael dropped. He was merciful, and he didn't drop um, a substantial one, but it was a big. It was a big spoiler, and so that shuts up your yeah. older brother. And then the you know um, power was uh, was in his hands for some time, and so I had to really sprint to read that book once I had it, lest Michael uh, use that to his advantage. But anyway, the things that siblings do. Um, another another thing, and maybe a, a fodder for um, jump starting our um, theological conversation today um, is uh, Michael and I. One of the the, the ties that, that bound us, you could say, was a, a mutual love of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that um, Michael and I probably are kindred spirits on is that there we, um, as you know, a new trilogy, a new Star Wars trilogy has come out. And not everybody, um, and actually, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to put this out at the front. Um there is no way that this podcast episode, our little theological conversation around uh, the the cult um, phenomenon that is Star Wars, there is no way that this conversation is spoiler-free. So if you have not seen the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, or the controversial um, <laughs> subsequent trilogy um, brought to you 
um, proudly by J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. Um, then maybe tune and out. Kathleen you, Kennedy. Yeah, and Kathleen Kennedy. Let's, and we don't want to leave her out. <laughs> Got to give her some credit, too. Um, but uh, if, you, if you have not seen these um, those episodes of Star Wars and you don't want uh, any of that to be spoiled, I'd encourage you to watch those first before tuning into this episode. But if you don't care about spoilers, um, then uh, stay tuned and stick around. Um, uh, we're going to jump in, but that's going to be a big part of our conversation because um, uh, there's obviously been a lot of discussion um, about mm-hmm. the... Uh, how these movies are written, but I'm also convinced that there's some significant intersection with the reception of these movies and also mm-hmm. um, the nature of truth and um, mm-hmm. and what the Bible has to say about truth. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway, why don't we, Michael? You got? Do you have some? Do you have some preliminary thoughts or otherwise? Uh, um, I got well, a couple questions um, to get us going, but go for it. Um, well, I basically just wanted to um, illustrate how the, the difference is basically, like what you're saying about Star Wars, how you and I, while we had the same starting point, we kind of branched off into drastically different directions because all us kids, we were raised in that on the last oppor- the last opportunity someone had to watch the original Star Wars movies, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, in their original form. And we had those on a VHS box set that we watched so many times. Well, maybe I watched more times than anyone else, but <laughs> we, we, put the, we put those tapes to good use. Because, and it was a good thing we did, because shortly after that set was released, George Lucas started making his controver- his semi-controversial <laughs> special edition edits that started in the 90s and then continued into the 2000s and then and then would have probably kept going up until up until 2012 which was when the Star Wars franchise was bought by Disney but um we all, we had so we had those we had those movies and we were we were still kids when the prequels were coming out, uh, Phantom Menace, Attack of Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. And honestly, as a kid, that, if you have to watch those movies, that's probably the best time for it because you're you're fast forwarding to the action anyway. You're not paying attention to the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who cares but, um, about well written dialogue? <laughs> Just give me some lightsaber yeah. fights. <laughs> but you know what yeah. though? Is there's some truth to that? I there is. It has not surprised me that some people have made. Um, connections between the um, some of modern cinematography and um, mm-hmm. was it um, is it Scorchese? Mar- is it Martin Scorchese? Oh, um, yeah, Martin Scorsese. When he, Scorsese, yeah. are you talking okay. about his? Um, are you talking about his uh, statement about how modern filmmaking is more so a fireworks show than yeah. actual compelling storytelling? You know what, though, is that. You know, it, 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 he got a lot of flack for saying what he did. He was namely speaking out of the um, the success of Avengers Endgame, the Mar- if I remember. The Marvel, or just Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Basically, he was saying that there's there's no plot, there's no substance, there's no real mm-hmm. compelling dialogue. What a lot of this is are visual effects, mm-hmm. um, 3D generated yep. or um, computer generated um, mm-hmm. demigods dueling it out and duking it out on the big screen mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. that's really the substance of uh, yeah. that that series or and again you know I, mm-hmm. I know that they're you're a Marvel fan just for the let the record show Michael well, is a, he well you are you do I'm not I'm more I'm not a I'm not a full-on Marvel fan I'm definitely a spider-man fan but it took me those movies to learn how to learn how cool Iron Man is, or how cool Captain America can be. Like, if if you haven't seen Winter Soldier and you want, and you think you hadn't got a chance to good Captain America yet, check that out. But um, but yeah, I I got I I can I, I can I can definitely understand because I mean, in all honesty, I still haven't seen Infinity War or Endgame because I think I, I don't know which one it was. I don't remember which one I stopped on, but. I think I just got tired of seeing variations of the same movie. I remember you and I watched um, 
Thor Ragnarok together, and I, I did not have fun with that. Yeah, you. Well, it, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, to be honest, I think one of the big things that made Thor Ragnarok so awesome was the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I, well, I mean, obviously, it's Disney. They got the big bucks, and it's about the end of the. It's about the titular end of the Norse mythology, mythological world. Right. So you bet they're going to have that. They're going to shell out the cash to not only have that song in trailers, but to play it twice in the actual movie. I thought they played it in three the only times. two parts. I thought they played it three times. I think it plays three times. I thought it was only twice. I, I'm pretty. Anyway. Sure. I, I'd be willing to put twenty bucks. Says they played it three times in Thor Ragnarok. But, well, whatever. Oh, okay. Beside the point. But you're right. It's, okay. It. Um, yeah. Keep going. But um. Any, but anywho, looping back to Star Wars, we didn't just have those. We didn't just have the movies, and we also didn't have the, the eventual slew of games that were coming out, like the Rogue Squadron games. Uh, and and this is probably going to. This is probably at some point just going to be a recommendations list for anyone listening but aside from from tie-in games but like uh, the rogue squadron games and yep. pod racer uh, but um shadows of the empire had, nice yeah, Republic. And, and that's and that's yeah and that and that leads into dark forces the other thing too well yeah that's true and Don't um forget about dark forces. it was also and our yeah, we also had four books three of which were good and but all of them I read because I love Star Wars and it, I think those were some of the first novels I ever actually sat down and read, even though I didn't always get everything all the time. There was the, the three books of note were Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina. Yep, great book. Yep, and Shadows of the Empire, yep. like you said, and then Truce of Bakura. Yep, and those three were great were great ways to help me get. Help me get a taste for novels because Tales from Moss Island Cantina takes it was a it was a collection of short stories by all the big established sci-fi writers in the '90s who took a background character from a brief ten from a brief ten minute scene in the first movie and they basically gave them a story it, it, and yeah, they it's would very it's a very very well written yeah. uh, and yeah. it's a and it's a perfect microcosm of what eventually what eventually became known as the Star Wars Expanded Universe was because all of these authors were in touch with each other. They all picked which character they were going to do. They all conferred notes with each other so they could borrow names and characters and events. And they would build off of each other and they would take characters in di- take other people's characters in different directions. Sometimes, not always to the most success, and sometimes you had authors who went off the rails and did their own thing, but the ones that stood out the most were the ones that showed a spirit of collaboration and respect for the established rules of the movies. And the, and the, yeah. the, the, underlying, the underlying thing with all this, it's all this extra material, these books, these games, these comics... Because he didn't have to go out and get any of them. He didn't have to go to these extra, this extra, these extra works in order to appreciate the movies. Mm-hmm. It was more so, oh, you've seen the movies and you really like them? Why don't you check out some of this other stuff that, that takes place between films or goes on after the films right. or go, it takes place 4,000 years before the films? And you don't, And it's more so... Like oh you like you like this stuff like you you like those movies hey we like them too How, what do you think of our take on something that took place in this ever expanding story and from the mid nineties to two thousand twelve Star Wars just kept going and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and like you said we had the Je- the Dark Forces Jedi Knight series which starred Star Wars's very own Chuck Norris Kyle Katarn yeah. who was awesome. And then Knights of the Old Republic, which put you at the which which takes you, which puts you at the center of your own adventure four thousand years before the events of the movies. Very and smart move equal. too, is you 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 yep. stay within the universe, but you put it on mm-hmm. a timeline so far away. There's absolutely no mm-hmm. way that you could accidentally step on the mm-hmm. minefield that is pre-existing canon. Um, exactly, and they could, and that's 
and that's what made the, the development of that game so great because they could do their own thing and they didn't have to be too bound by established stuff. They, they certainly homage it in spades, but it's its own thing. Right. And you forget that as she has a, that basically the same story, but it tells it in a way that it's compelling and it kind of foreshadows some things a little bit. And it's just a fun game. It's I not felt, trying I, to. I remember playing the Knights of the Old Republic one and two for that matter. And yeah, it felt and, like and, it, and the and, yep, yeah, and it's and the sequel, and like you said, the sequel. Actually, I think you played that one first. I think I think that's the first one we ever got. No, I I played I played one. Huh? Okay. Yeah, I think well, I, maybe, I, maybe you played one. I, first. I played I one first, first one and then and then played two. And I I mean they okay. both they're both great video games, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. not to focus on the video. The, you know, we're not necessarily talking. Yeah. we're focusing primarily if you're not into yeah. video games and you're listening to this that's we're not even um maybe that's a podcast yeah. episode for another day we're namely focusing on yeah. the narrative or the story or the lore mm-hmm. of these of these games of the you know you brought yeah. up michael you brought up a really good point about how um the difference between the expanded universe and mm-hmm. a lot of the additional reading material that's coming out now is I would argue, as I'm, I'm, I'm uh, inferring from what you, my guesses are implying, um, mm-hmm. that nowadays the literature that's coming out is damage control versus, it's, yeah. it's like, so, oh crap, we had about ten plot holes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. well, you you want to like you know, <laughs> I'm tra- Elijah Wood yeah. had a really great, um, he had a really great tweet. In response to that, I think Disney had posted, did you know that blah, 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 blah? Or did you know that yeah. Emperor Palpatine, blah, blah, blah? And Elijah Wood said, mm-hmm. no, period. How could I possibly know that? Question mark. <laughs> I'm, but I'm like, I'm thinking, but that's yeah. that's the thing. It's like you make it seem as if these things are so readily or mm-hmm. obvious and apparent yeah. in the movie. But, you mm-hmm. you know, I the pacing of a lot of this, of the newer stuff mm-hmm. is there's no world building there's no character yeah. building. There's just this assumption that you're invested in these characters and that you have a knowledge mm-hmm. of their investment in one another. Um, they mm-hmm. they they sell you the illusion that it's high risk, high stakes, that there mm-hmm. is um, a strong relationship or bond, you know, bond between these characters. But you've not seen it. All these yeah. things have unfolded in outside yeah. literature or off screen, and you just you as the yeah. viewer basically just have to take them at what they're telling you and it just it, it doesn't yeah it does it, you know you think of the pacing in you think of the pacing in, in even the prequel trilogy the pacing was was mm-hmm. a lot slower um i mean you think of the whole pod yeah. racer segment and you know people could say mm-hmm. what they want about the prequel trilogy or episode one i think a mm-hmm. lot of people you know they say well yeah. people said the same thing when episode one came out that it was going to be the end of the star wars universe and you know but mm-hmm. um and yeah the dialogue was clunky and yes, George yeah. Lucas sought to 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 tailor this around yeah. a younger audience, mm-hmm. and so you know characters like Jar Jar mm-hmm. Binks or more dopey dialogue, or you know Jake Lloyd mm-hmm. as Anakin Skywalker, who got vitriol for his well, oh my goodness. To be well, to be fair, it's real. It's it is a job and a half to to cap to properly cast child actors. Because you never know what you're going to get with a child. Because you never know if you're going to have to coach them or if it's because of a connection. or So I, so whatever so whatever ridicule gets thrown Anakin, Skywalk, Anakin Skywalker's way, I, I, I've tried not... I don't really want to keep bagging on something that happened when he was a kid. And, yeah. and, 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 keep in, and keep in mind, too... A lot of people cite the stuff that happened later in his life and blame Phantom Menace. No, I, I'd, I'd encourage people to look up some look up some actually, look up some of the history around Jake Lloyd's fall from grace and show that it was less about the movie itself and more so about the fact that he never had a normal more so about the fact that he didn't wasn't able to have a normal life afterwards. Yeah, and more so it was more so because of his classmates. But anyway, that's just getting off topic. Anyway. Like you were saying, once once the buyout happened in 2012, all everything that had been everything that had been written, except for the six movies that had been made at the time, 
and the Clone Wars TV show, all that was resold under a under the Legends logo and was never discussed again. It was it was unceremoniously made non-canon. Yep. So in order to go make, ahead. in order to make what in order to give their writers more room to tell 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 new kind of stories because because I will give them this. The EU had pretty well plotted out the life course of the main cast at this point. There was no stretch of their lives that had not been written. But back when I heard the news that he'd sold it and that they had then shelved everything as non-canon and they were never going to re-release it, I kind of felt the warning bells going off. Hold that thought, Michael. As someone who who is really invested in all these extra characters that you never saw in the movies... But I was willing to give it a chance just to see what happened. Well, we got to do, Michael, because we got to, we, we, we got to, there are just a couple, there's a little bit of phraseology that we might need to explain for, for listeners who might not be familiar with what we mean by the word canon. Um, oh. So, um, or Michael used the word, um, I don't think you used, used the word retconned, but you, you said something. Um, to, it's, it's, it's basically what I, basically, um, what they did, basically, what you, what you were saying, what a retcon is, is basically when a writer or a writing team or an executive order or whatever looks back on works that had already been written, like established, and then they, re, they either re-release it and they edit it, or they write a new story saying, oh, that's what you thought was happening. No, 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 no. This is what's happening, like this new event now. And... Details from the original work are either recontextualized, or cha- or severely altered, or scrapped altogether. Yep, and that's a that's a big. This is a big point of what Michael and I are going to be talking about: um, uh, recontextualization, retconning, or um, decanonizing, if that's a word. Um, the word "canon," we don't mean like boom, boom. You know, the thing that shoots things. Um, the word canon, when we're talking about, um, we'll say, a, um, a corpus of works or uh, like a series or something, are things that are part of the story. Like they're the accepted works that make up a story or universe. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the canon of Harry Potter would be the, what, seven Harry Potter books and then the, um, yep. the play What's the name of the the cursed child? The cursed child, and then um, the uh, mythic was it new fantastic mystical beast fantastic beasts and uh, yeah the fantastic and, where to, find them. and yeah. where to find them. So those are those would be part of the Harry Potter canon. So for example, if I were today to create a Harry Potter movie, I can pretend that it's it's canon in my mind all I want, but in reality, it is not accepted Harry mm-hmm. Potter canon. It does not. It is not part of the Harry Potter universe. Mm-hmm. We might call it a fan fiction. Um, yeah. So this, what Michael's getting at is, um, at the acquisition of Star Wars um, by the Disney franchise, um, what ended up happening is um, there were there were there were books um, that were, I guess you could say, um, in in the minds of fans, were considered to be canon, which were then mm-hmm. um, retconned, or basically, um, um, they were they were told that they're no longer canon. Basically, once Disney bought the the franchise, um, per what Michael was saying, in order for them to wipe timetables or timelines clean, for their new writers to come in and populate. So as they could populate um, uh, bank accounts, um, <laughs> um, they had to basically um, remove uh, storylines that had pre-existed. So, for example, what Michael was saying is your original cast from the original trilogy, Luke, Leia, and Han, um, very much had fleshed out st- or and Chewbacca uh, for mm-hmm. Shame on Me, and then yeah, I suppose C three PO and R two D two, and Lando, and Lando. Um, they all had these. Um, robustly uh, fleshed out uh, storylines that follow the immediate mm-hmm. after and literally the immediate aftermath of Return of the Jedi yep. um, on um, 
all yep. of those storylines were done away with so as to in uh, basically usher in not just new characters, but new stories that actually are to unfold immediately after. So basically anything, anything that had, had existed prior to mm-hmm. uh, outside of the six movies was now decanonized. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. this left a lot of things pending. For example, the video games. Um, yep. You know, were those storylines, were those still, was that still canon? Um, comic books or books that had come out, were those canon? All of that had basically been relabeled as what Michael referred to as legends. Basically saying that these things were kind of like an alternate reality. A, a, uh, a parallel, oh, not a parallel Star Wars universe, but like a... Um, no, it was, where, it was it, more, yeah. it's more... It was more so a rebranding of everything that had that had come before the purchase. So everything from the beginning of the 90s to 2012 was labeled as this is what labeled as it. It was put it under its own brand, under its own label, the Legends label. It was re, it was resold once, and then it was never mentioned again. They brought they. Brought back a couple of fan favorite characters or two here and there, but with drastically different stories and right. different environments that doesn't that didn't always play up to their strengths, and it made it made some of them it kind of sapped some of their appeal away, and then things got worse when they started putting out their new mainline trilogy. Yeah, and, and that's that's been a. Um, it depends on you know it really depends on who you talk to when it comes to the reception of. I think I've seen ire towards each of these movies, respectively, Force Awakens, um, Last Jedi, and the final installment, um, The Rise of Skywalker, which is, what a misnomer. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. anyway, but so on the one hand, some people, and, you know, and, and we don't need to get too bogged down in... Um, dissecting or divulging all the details of the movies yeah, yeah, yeah. namely we're what we're what we're looking at here is we we kind of want to um give me a second here there's a little bit That's of right. a buzz I'm trying to find a way to combat that i don't know what's going on here um Okay, I think I got it. Um, but uh, yeah, one one thing that um, I've seen, and you alluded to this already, was um, let's you know you talked about revisionist history or uh, mm-hmm. recontextualization mm-hmm. or um, uh, retconning. What'd you say? Retconning, yeah. Retconning. Yep, so basically, yeah. uh, and a great example of this you alluded to, where there's this great scene in the, actually, it's it, I'd argue one of the best scenes in A New Hope, and it's an introduction of a character, and you really get to see some of his, basically, you know, in all his rawness um, uh, at the beginning of his character development, Han Solo, where Greedo, this bounty hunter mm. commissioned by Jabba oh. the Hutt to basically bring him oh. in, dead or alive yeah. and Greedo mm-hmm. pulls a gun on him a blaster on him in the Moss Eisley cantina Michael was referring to this mm-hmm. and they have this back and forth dialogue and I, I Han knows the entire time that he probably is not going to be able to talk his way out of this one though he certainly yeah. tries um, his dialogue with Greedo is really so that he could distract this yeah. somewhat dopey and bounty hunter pull his own bla- and he pulls his, pull his own blaster out from under the table and, yep and what ended up happening is in the original movie and i say original because this is what it actually was han says over my dead body and pulls his trigger underneath the table and blasts this this rhodian alien bounty hunter and he just fries him on there and then and then the <laughs> the really cool part is han walks over to the barkeep and flips him a coin says Here's for the mess, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and or and sorry that, for and the mess, and, and that's and that's and um and starting with those very first Lucas edits, he cha- he added a split second frame in to have Greedo fire at Han's head, and he shifts before pulling the trigger himself. Right, which is the source of the inf- which is the source of the famous meme Han shot first. 
Yep. So, well, there's actually a significant meme because McClunky comes after that then too, <laughs> where there's another meme after that called McClunky. Um, so, so basically what Michael's saying is, um, the original movie, which was out, you, it's out on VHS, which, you know, somewhere it exists digitally, but it, but as far as we know, it will never be sent back out to the public because of revisionist history where we need to rewrite the past yeah. so as to make it palatable and acceptable to the present. Mm-hmm. And what I'm not saying, um, I don't think anybody's necessarily, well, you know, it's anyway, I, I, I digress anyway. Um, it was felt by some people, I, my guess is George Lucas was one of them, that Han shooting this bounty hunter who had a gun pulled on him was not good. And so they had to make it seem like Han really had no other choice. So they have Greedo yet- shoot his blaster at point-blank range. They crop, they make Han kind of like do this little slide gesture, which yeah. looks really odd. Like, you can yeah. tell it's you can this... Tell that it's, you can tell it's CG. Yeah, it's... It's just this oddly contorted way to make it look like Han at the very split second dodges a blaster bolt at point blank blank range and then shoots Greedo. And then it's yeah. like, okay, then he, then it, then it's all good. It's, it's okay. Han, yeah. but then, and then that's where the Han shot first thing came in, but they, yeah. they doctor, even, doctored, though, even yeah. though the, even though the theme of the entire original trilogy and star Wars in general is that of redemption. Yeah, and so and it, it, that it, yep, yep. Without, without spoiling too much, you, it, you might even see something about that theme directed towards the main villain, but you have to watch them to find that out. Well, and see, that's another there's, thing too. Well, is there's two that, people out there who haven't seen Star Wars yet. Well, right, but see, that's the other thing too. Is that you very much see in the original in the original trilogy, and then as you add the prequel trilogy, there is a mm-hmm. a, a singular main character rises to the forefront, and that is. Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And you talked about yep. redemption. And, um, you know, for, you know, for Christians, that very much is a, um, it's hard mm-hmm. not to see Luke Skywalker as very much of a, a messianic Jesus uh, typological mm-hmm. figure where mm-hmm. now granted, I mean, obviously the analogy breaks down yep. in many places very quickly. Yeah. Um, but you have, um, but the bare, but the bare bones of the mechanics of re- of redemption are there. Correct, especially considering that it's not due to any real impetus from Anakin himself. It's more so, more so, some an external an external force from reaching out to him and making him realize that he's not too far gone. Right, and that there's still some good in him. Right, there is a um, to uh, a point that you made earlier. I was, you know, I was just uh, <laughs> I was just doing a Bible study on Second Timothy, and um, you know, there's a lot. There are many things that we know about Second Timothy. We we know when it was written. Uh, well, roughly when it was written, say 67, 68 A.D. Um, so very near the end of Paul's life. Um, likewise, First Timothy, we know that that was written around 60, 63 AD. Um, but uh, one thing that, you know, historically the Christian church has always seen First and Second Timothy as authentically Pauline letters, meaning that the Apostle Paul, it was widely accepted that the true, the real Apostle Paul had written these. However, a lot of, mm-hmm. some modern critics have tried to, you know, wage a war against the canonicity of these books and say that they are pseudepigraphal, um, which these, these, um, these attempts have been widely refuted. And, uh, maybe another episode we could walk through, um, we could walk through some of those arguments, but, but the, I can't help but think, you know, I, I gotta say the newer trilogy feels more pseudepigraphal than it does canonical. And what I mean, <laughs> what I mean by that is, um, an example of pseudepigrapha would be somebody um, under the guise of... So it would be like me pretending to be J.K. Rowling and then releasing three more Harry Potter books and mm-hmm. trying to convince everybody that these are, in fact, written by J.K. Rowling, therefore you should read them. Um, that is mm-hmm. pseudepigrapha, where um, somebody is adopting mm-hmm. the persona of some other accepted author um, so as to... Uh, garner attention or get get buy-in to their to their writings and i gotta say 
Go ahead. So you're so you're saying that this that this new that this new writing feels very much like someone else at the writing wheel figurative wheel of someone else's work and right. not it, knowing where they're going. Yes, and that's and I I'll, I'll totally say it. Um, the feelings, you know. When I went and watched The Force Awakens, The Force Awakens is classic J.J. Abrams where it's riddled with mystery box. And that's not that's not inherently yeah. bad, especially when you're dropping out um, installment one of a three-part series. So basically the value of a, of a mystery box-laden installment is heavily contingent on the subsequent answers to those mystery boxes. But the thing is, is that the answers were... Sure, go ahead. Sorry. There's a distinct... The, the the big distinction with creating intrigue for the audience is first of all you as the author have to know, have to know what's in what is the answer to the questions that you pose what's inside what's actually inside the box you can't sell them on an on endless imagination because your imagination is most likely going to let you down when if you build it up too much. Well, but you also, so you to... yeah, you also, in, you're bringing up something that's really important where what you end up doing is um, these, these what they kind of do is they, they, they shroud a lot of events in, in mystery so as to basically allow room for your personal imagination to fill in the gaps as you desire, which... I don't want to say it when it comes down to like, for example, when you read a book, you read Harry Potter versus I read Harry Potter and how you and I might paint the, the corridors of Hogwarts or how you might render what Severus Snape looks like in your mind, you know, obviously before, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. you watch the movie and, and now it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's hard well, not to see. can't imagine if anyone else but Alan Rickman. Yeah, that's right. It's like, I can't see, you know, he, yeah. His his portrayal of Snape has just hijacked my imagination's viewing of Severus yep. Snape because he did such a great job. But um, mm -hmm. but but what you, I can't help but think that there's a little bit of uh, there there's a we we want to let I don't know I don't want to say that there 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 is a little bit of a flirtation with relative truth here, where um yeah. where it's it's you know real you know you get to kind of determine what reality is you get to kind yeah. of determine um what did or didn't happen um which it yeah. just seems like such a crude bait and switch where you 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 hype up these these questions and you never answer them um or, or you, you 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 deliberately mislead and, and here's the thing is i don't i don't know how much misleading there was there it seemed to be even from I think if we're just being fair, there was a clear difference between Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams' direction, where J.J. Abrams wow. deliberately set up something, which Ryan just trolled all on the altar of literary well, subversion. But here's a, you know good literary subversion. Um, you know, like I, I don't know, like um, yeah, go ahead. It's, 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 the, it's the idea of, like we were saying, good subversion is going is opening a candy wrapper, expecting chocolate, <laughs> and then you get chocolate with caramel, and you didn't and you weren't expecting caramel, but it's and in its own way, it's good. Ryan Johnson's method of subversion is getting a candy wrapper, expecting chocolate, and opening up to <laughs> something that's left unsaid, and and. and and he then, and then he laughs in your face for being invested in what's going on. Right. And, but any, but yeah. but if you but if you want to know the, if you want to get, want to want to check the tip of the iceberg of the debacle of the planning, of this new thing that was going on, when when Disney bought it, and George and George Lucas handed over everything, he also turned in his plans for a potential sequel trilogy. Correct. That Mark, that Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, had already signed on for because he thought that George Lucas was going to direct it. Right. But Disney and J.J. Abrams dismissed all that, and J.J. Abrams started writing his own thing. And then he turned over whatever plans that he had made to Ryan Johnson, who in turn dismissed all those plans and wrote his own movie in such a way that it basically 
ended a trilogy in the second movie. Yeah, it's a story. And it's a they, story of uh, of uh, of betrayal within a story of betrayal. <laughs> yeah, and this and this base and Star Wars may be at the front, may be at the front of all this, but this and and this and this is nothing to say of how they of their running roughshod over the established characters by reversing their development putting them basically back at where they started, bringing in the original actors when they're older, tired, and less interested before humiliating their characters and then killing them off. This, yeah. There's this, not is a... this, is a micro, this is a microcosm of the attitude that is permeating, the, permeating modern filmmaking. You look at Terminator, you look at Alien, you look at Predator, yep. you look at Doctor Who, you look at Star Trek... You look at Marvel and DC, who are both do, doing their best to run themselves into the ground with, and with mouthing off to their fans and make and making everything topical and painfully relevant, and giving no thought to just making a good story. And that, and there's and so, there, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of truth. I I would argue in what you're saying. Where, um, for example, there was there was a I'll give you an example of this. If you haven't seen um, the the recent installment of Star Wars, there what the what J.J. Abrams does is he takes a lot of scrap footage of Carrie Fisher, who the late Carrie Fisher, who died during the filming, uh, or excuse me, she had finished all her filming for the Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. She died, um, however, during post production. She, yeah, during post production, the plan was to have her a fairly active role in. Um, the uh, the rise the of Skywalker in the third movie um, and J.J. Abrams wanting to do her service. What he ends up doing is he takes a bunch of scrap footage and dialogue from Carrie Fisher from the force awakens and basically writes that into this new movie. And again, I, see, I see that very much as a, a prime example of a lot of stuff that took place in this trilogy where what you end up doing is you craft the story around a really cool sequence. Like, um, what wouldn't it be awesome if, if a ship punched into light speed right at a, at a dreadnought? Yeah, we should like, let's just write an entire plot around that really cool sequence. Or, um, Ex you know, except you don't stop and think about how you've basically ruined I know space battles forever oh but and don't this, worry though michael because in the in the third in the third movie of the trilogy they they pitch that as an as an option for um destroying the fleet of exegol and but they said no that shot was one in a million <laughs> i'm like you gotta be kidding me oh my just the damage yeah. the damage yeah. control in the third movie is you but see this is what's so interesting is that this is what happens when you you, you you basically play yeah. the multi-billion-dollar equivalent of Mad Libs, yeah. <laughs> except you expect people to take it seriously, and then when the, and then when fans of the series or people who want well-written well-written storylines or people who just want or people who don't just want to turn their brains off when they watch something, level criticism against it in a in a way that's and then and it's in a way that's meant to be a feedback system of saying like, okay, you put out this work for us. We as the audience are telling you that this is poorly written. Yeah. And this does, this does a disservice to the characters. This, this will not age well, regardless of how much money you throw at the special effects. Yeah, and, this, and then they turn yeah. around and say, eh, it's just a vocal minority of angry fanboy nerds. They don't care. They're not true fans. Yep. And at that point you have to you you can't really wonder why Disney is losing so much money right now. Right. And I mean, this is, it's, yeah. it's, they're probably going to bounce back better than every better than anyone in the light of all this, but at the same time this I doubt that Star Wars will ever be the cash cow or the golden goose that it was back before they bought it. Yeah, the, their PR alone has put a lot of people off, and it's very disconcerting. Right. One of the things that you, um, we, we had kind of touched on briefly was the how these newer installments feel pseudepigraphal to the 
six. That, 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 that word, there's that word again. What was that? Pseudopigraphal. So, um, pseudopigraphal, it, what, um, a good, a, like, a, like I said, a good definition of it would be pretending to be someone else, um, kind of commandeering, um, something that they wrote and then siphoning off maybe language or something like that to push your own story, you know, kind of branding it as, as if it were someone else's. And I can't, you know, mm -hmm. when I was watching, you know, a lot of people, uh, some of the critics that I've watched, they, they refer to these new installments as nothing better than glorified fan fiction. And now, yeah. obviously, I want to be careful here because I don't want to, what I don't want people to get this impression of is that you or I are ascribing this religious component to Star Wars. The only reason no, that, no, 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 this no, is, what, the one reason why... Michael and I, uh, these are some things that are, these are, these are conversations that we've had before. The reason why we get so, you know, worked up about yeah, it because this we is care. a significant, and not only is there nostalgia here and that this is a part of our life, but we've, we've invested a lot of time into the expanded universe or the lore of, of Star Wars. And so when, because, when, because it, it's yeah. all really well written and, be, and Correct. because, and, and not just because we grew up with it, although that is a major factor in it, but because it's some it's something that you don't get a lot in entertainment nowadays. It's becoming harder and harder to find. It's not just a sense of adventure. It's not the crazy sci-fi technology. It's not the awesome uh, space wizard powers. It's not the cool weapons. It's not like the stuff like that. It's a sense of escapism. It's a sense of adventure. It's a sense of being able to to put your daily life on a hold for just a, for just a little bit, just to decompress, and to go and have an adventure for a little bit, just to take a breather, just to recharge. It's just a way to relax. Right. You, and yeah. for the longest time, you could almost everyone could jump in on this without without bringing up any of the painfully relevant issues these days. And it was a way for people to talk about something that they liked that that they don't have to worry about button topics where they can just enjoy the fun space adventures. 